I usually think your podcasts are tremendous, but lately I've been disappointed. Listening to people eating is dull. Could it be the podcast equivalent to reality TV? It might have some voyeuristic appeal, but it is ultimately cheap, unplanned filler. Thank you, Kate, for that feedback. <sighs> Today, we're not sat on the wiggly sofa. We're not lounging away. We are creaking at the wiggly table. Creak, team. Creak, Richard, creak. Creaking. I'm just, I'm just wondering, did you get Kate's other comments? Oh, you mean when you fished? For the compliment. No, no official compliments, but I wanted some sort of perspective on on what Kate did appreciate about the Wiggly Podcast. You wanted a little bit of balance. Did you you, you get that? I shall do that in a moment, but first of all, I'm going to introduce you, because you, Richard, Mm -hmm. are pretty in pink again, and sat not... You're welcome. Uh, Not (laughs) sat not at the Wiggly sofa, but at the Wiggly table. Yes. So we're testing this. Bit of a new layout, isn't it? I've got to say, it's not quite as comfortable as being cutched up with you on the couch. No. And, and I'm closer to Phil than I'd like to be, ideally. But Farmer <laughs> Phil's with us today. And Rich can smell me. Like <laughs> he is sat by a bunch of flowers, Farmer Phil. It's probably a yes. good thing looking at my pullover. Picture the scene, dear listener. We're in Lower Blakemere Farm. The wind is blowing. It is December. It's pretty cold, but we're actually quite warm. Our floor has been relayed and there's no drafty gaps. The only drafty gap that we can all feel is round our knees, and that's because of the sash windows. Yes. We've got lots to fit in today. We've got Alison talking about pork and lamb. We've got ADA with a joke. We're launching our T-shirt competition. We've got peanuts. We're going to California to meet author Amy Stewart and two seriously cool podcast fans, Patrice and Margot. We've got Richard on building a propagator, but the thing is, we've got feedback. And Kate also says, Richard, Wiggly Wigglers is my favourite podcast. The thing I enjoy most is when you have two commentators with opposing but informed points of views. Anything from the hedgerow row to Heather getting heated about preserving old ways of farming versus progressive farming with consideration for the environment. I also enjoy your guest sessions and your roving reports. Your podcasts cover a lot of ground without being superficial. And then I can't say the next bit because it's an insult to Podchef. Uh, so anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's not too much wrong with giving uh, Podchef a bit of Sorry, she time. just says that Podchef rants. But when either of you goes off on one, Heather stamps on it. Quite so. Mm. She says she's a city dweller, but she's got an interest in the environment, food production and gardens. Wiggly Wigglers is entertaining and it educates me in things that interest me. So I totally agree with her. I don't think we should eat another thing on the show. Not for a bit. Possibly not for a bit. I'll tell you, can I, is this an ideal moment to get this other little bit of feedback that we've had? This, this was sent us a while ago. Yes. Um, this little bit of feedback that is the sheet of A4. Incredibly constructive. Close yeah. this, this is the sheet of A4, but it's got, it's got a little bit of meat to it, a bit of depth. You can, um, but you must stop creaking. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll stop squiggling around on this chair. But right. This is from uh, Dr Jenny Andrew. Now, Jenny is written from the British Oceanographic Data Centre in Liverpool. Gosh. Um, and she was, she was listening to the Wiggly podcast 104 and this is where I talked to Martin Bacon about all sorts of things carbon offsetting though primarily Jenny has said 
she admits that she listened to the start of the interview with Martin with a, with a bit of trepidation, gritted teeth, she says here. I made the incorrect assumption that a forester would have a very different view of carbon offsetting than my own. And I quote, once again, however, you have provided an educated and balanced take on an issue which often polarises opinion. Having given this issue considerable thought and having some understanding of environmental issues, I am deeply suspicious of claims that we can negate the harm done by our use of fossil fuels by planting trees. Assuming that we could calculate the carbon cost of a long-haul flight and convert that into a number of trees to be planted, and in brackets, I don't believe it's half as simple as carbon offsetting schemes make out, there are other considerations. Bear in mind that in digging fossil fuels out of the ground and burning them, we release carbon into the atmosphere that has been millions of years in sequestration. To compensate for that release, we need to ensure that our chosen method of sequestration lasts just as long, essentially forever. The trees planted on our behalf might grow to maturity, taking up the stated quantity of carbon, but as soon as they die, that carbon again will be released back into the atmosphere through decomposition. Do these carbon sequestration schemes guarantee that somebody will be on duty to plant a new tree to replace the old one in 500 years' time? Of course not. No. Or when the next one dies, or the next one, blah, blah. Hardly. Can they even guarantee that in 50 years' time they will not sell the land to property developers? I doubt it. In short, tree planting schemes might act as a temporary salve to the conscience, but they are no real solution to the trend of atmospheric carbon. Getting towards the end now. Now, a slightly more complicated argument against such carbon sequestration schemes. Marine plants, and this is presumably something that Jenny knows a great deal about, play a huge part in absorbing atmospheric carbon dioxide, comparable to the role of terrestrial plants. Recent research suggests that changing land use for carbon offsetting schemes could reduce the amount of dust and therefore nutrients reaching the oceans. Without these nutrients, marine plants can't grow, so don't absorb the carbon. In effect, the process could do a thorough job of offsetting carbon offsetting. If someone has got as far as paying out to compensate for their carbon use, they must have recognised that our planet is in a delicate balance. The effect on that balance of this type of carbon offsetting is just not known. We should be trying to interfere less with natural environments, not more. If it's rainforest, keep it as rainforest. If it's moorland, keep it as moorland. If it's dusty desert, keep it as dusty desert. Please don't think that I object to planting of trees in general. I've been working hard since moving to my current home to give my garden back to native plants and animals which suit it so well. I just want to commend you on refusing to take the oversimplified line that many of the green movement stick to at the cost of their credibility. I was also so pleased to listen to Martin's recommendation on reducing our environmental impact. Good old-fashioned common sense. Good work, Wigglers. Jenny, well... very nice isn't it it's a fantastically comprehensive feedback and we really appreciate that it's also a good way of summing up what i think because if you didn't plant the tree there'd be grass or some other plant sequestrating carbon and the idea that just by buying your conscience out for burning carbon absolves you of any addressing of your use of energy of course strikes me as ridiculous at the end of the day we just have to use less energy full stop it doesn't matter where it comes from. That is the bottom line, isn't it? Also, we've got a Nuffield scholar who's done carbon offsetting and he listened to 104 and he says it's really interesting and he's, he's going to take that podcast and think about it on his tour. So maybe we could interview him mm. and Jenny 
at a later date. That'd be good. Hey, we're full of creaking, aren't we? And wind. And the builders are in. Yes, well, Farmer Phil's full of wind. <laughs> That's all because he's eating some of your cake. Yes, you're just full of hot air, Richard. <laughs> oh, my just cake. Demonstrates that I'm functioning in my normal, effective manner. Mm. Indeed. Uh, just to update on my cake, I did indeed make a Victoria sponge with Monty, and it came out short came out repetitively. <laughs> I, think, I think sponge would be a slightly subjective description. Of course, let's have a sponge tasting now, just for the cake. I've tasted <laughs> the aforementioned biscuit and that perhaps not. <laughs> anyway, I found out the problem. Right. When one's making a Victoria sponge, the key thing to do is to weigh the eggs in the shells before you start. Okay. Um, because I went to the WI, Wild Indians Women's Institute, and asked them the problem with my cake. Right. And apart from putting the cake tins in wonky in the oven, therefore the mixture slid to the one end. So I had a fat cake on the left and a very thin <laughs> cake on the right. Then, then the key thing was You didn't the admit eggs. to that. Oh. Podchef will have just fell off his garden chair. Hmm. Heather says Jimbo what a little tease you are I've just listened to podcast 112 and you mentioned Richard's you are the weakest link appearance but then nothing nothing afterwards I remember it being mentioned ages ago but I can't recall anything since please please let us all know how it went. Something tells me it's bound to be hilarious. I've been a Wiggly fan since the early days after stumbling across your podcast in iTunes and I still look forward to my weekly fix. Keep up the good work. Oh, thank you, Jim. Isn't, isn't this situation precisely what YouTube is for? Yes. Well, I wonder if anybody's posted that particular edition of The Weakest Link on YouTube. Cause well, we I'm just thinking that if we can it. source the uh, footage, then we might post it ourselves, Rich. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Copyright issue. Uh, but yeah. I can give a brief report. Uh, what happened was that Richard turned up to the studio in his pink shirt. He proceeded to sweat in an unpleasant way and get really, really, really nervous. <laughs> Anne Robinson was unpleasant to him and he thoroughly hated the whole procedure he tried to answer the questions but failed miserably and they threw him off it's <laughs> about it's short yeah. Yeah, he came home with that. his tail between his legs never told us when it was on and we never saw it you were in america when it was on weren't you so you, you couldn't have seen it. And I only knew when it was on three days before. But there is a rumour that there is recorded footage of it, so that even yeah. if we can't, for copyright reasons, publish it, sure we can investigate it and give a full report. Actually, it was a good experience. It was a really good experience. As I left Pinewood Studios and went down to... I went down to Kew Gardens and camped out in Kew Gardens because I was working and doing some stuff with the Centre of Alternative Technology the day you after. You camped out? Camped in Kew, yeah. That's good. That so saves good. a bit of money. That was a fantastic day because going doing The Weakest Link wouldn't be something I'd do off my own bat. But having done it, having been invited to do it as part of the Wiggly team by the BBC, it was a great experience. And, and I underestimated the enjoyment that I got from such an experience. And the fear. And the fear, yeah. And it was oddly to be nervous because I'm not used to being nervous in front of audiences I, I in some ways I find I excel in front of an audience but yeah it's very strange even though the audience was small I was sweating like <laughs> like I've never sweated before Mm. Uh, the fear of ritual humiliation, I think. Yeah, that's, uh, that's probably what it is. Well, we got lots of feedback, and we just got to have this next piece from Kate Coote. I love her name. Right. 
Yeah, it's almost like Billy Onions. Kate Coot. Kate Coot. Kate Coot says, not sure whether you remember me. I'm an avid podcast sisters listener from New Zealand. I have a company called Floozy and Co. And I've looked at Floozy and Co. And it will be perfect for Rach. Hmm. It will smarten her up no end. Yeah. It's sort of designer women's clothes and bags. She needs something. Definitely. <laughs> nice to hear somebody else getting some stick about their sartorial <laughs> elegance other than me, really. <laughs> anyway, it says, I've listened to my first weekly podcast last week and I'm now so sorry it took me so long to get round to it. To be honest, even though I'm a country girl at heart, she's a gamekeeper's daughter from deepest, darkest Hampshire, yeah. I didn't think it would really be for me. But... How wrong could I be? I loved it. I listened to the vole trapping and it made me laugh all the way round my dog walk. Mainly the children's background comments. Oh, funny, I've listened since to Richard's Fisherman's Tale and have now subscribed. Keep them coming, please. I can see why the Wiggly podcast has been such a huge success. It's very engaging. Thank you very much. And she sent me a message on Facebook. So if you'd like to go to our Facebook group, um, then that would be utterly lovely. There are now 82 topics that are valuable and relevant and one on cats. And uh, Kate's company is floozyandco.nz. So thank you very much. I want to launch our T-shirt competition. But first, why don't we go and listen to Amy Stewart, Patrice and Margot? Because I met up with them, Rich, when I was in California. Excellent. I met Amy. She's lovely. I don't know the other two. Well, Patrice is a Wiggly podcast fan, and it turns out when I arrived there that she'd got her husband to come home and take some photos of us together. And she was so enthusiastic. She's a wonderful gardener. She goes and gardens for other people. And she has a network of people out there. Margot was one of them, who also garden. And the most amazing thing was that Margot was a little bit like Margot, you know, on The Good Life. Yeah. Quite refined and very beautiful, but right. she had muscles like rocks. Filled with she, she got a bit of a passion for concrete. Yes, <laughs> a complete passion for concrete. She has the equivalent to their local authorities dropping her off smashed up concrete that they're going to throw away into landfill. Yeah. Or she picks it up in her pickup truck, right. um, which is wrecked because of picking it up. And she makes it into walls. And that sounds awful. You know, I was thinking, oh, God, what is it going to be like? And when I saw them, it was absolutely beautiful. And I I took some photos of um, snake skins that were using the walls to to live in. Okay. Uh, Snake snake skins, (laughs) yeah. Snake skins that were left behind by snakes that lived in the walls. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. And all sorts of things. It was fantastic. So why don't we go over and hear Amy with her chickens and Patrice and Margot in California. Can you hear that, listener? This is the sound of our favourite Texans, chickens. Do you call them chooks, Amy? No, we don't. <laughs> it took me a long time to figure out what that meant as I was reading English chicken blogs. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, so you didn't yeah. call them chooks, so they're chickens. Further evidence the fact that we actually don't speak the same language at all. I found that out. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm so pleased because I've stayed with Amy and Scott, thank you very much, last night. Thank oh, you for having me. And Amy is a writer and broadcaster and author and columnist 
and Amy was the good lady who wrote, Is the Wiggly Wiggly podcast the best gardening podcast in the world in the San Francisco Chronicle? <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's still true. I think you still hold the title. Thank you very much. Um, tell me about these chickens. Well, we have four hens who spend all day long out in the backyard. So we have Eleanor, who is a Rhode Island Red. And then the gold and black chicken over there is Abigail. That's a gorgeous looking chicken. She's beautiful. And uh, that's Bess, the very scraggly looking one. Bess is, is an Aracana, some sort of Aracana mix. She's not a pure Aracana, but she lays beautiful green eggs. And then I think probably off in her nesting box somewhere is Dolly working on an egg. And she has lovely sky blue eggs. They're just beautiful. Fantastic. And they're all named after first ladies. That's right. Yes. So for the English listeners, we know Eleanor Roosevelt. Eleanor Roosevelt. Dolly Madison. Okay. Very fashionable Miss Dolly Madison. Um, Abigail Adams. President Adams. And uh, Bess Truman. Okay. Yes. Very nice. And we're in your garden, which... I can't imagine that many of the neighbors have got chickens around here, have they? You know, actually, uh, we we used to hear roosters down the street, so someone had roosters. And um, a neighbor two doors over had chickens for a while, and she had a peacock and a peahen. Really? And they would sometimes hop the fence and Mm. go for a walk around the block. And it turns out that if you're a peacock, no one will mess with you on the sidewalk. (laughs) They were utterly safe walking down the street. (laughs) And I love your garden. It's, it's sort of, I mean, we have a very similar plants in our gardens. Mm. Even though I'm from the UK and you're from California, I can recognize some plants. They seem bigger. Oh. So I think maybe the climate is, you know, a little more conducive to some of them. But it's a lovely garden. But you don't mind those chickens running all over it. No, I've had to make some adjustments. Anything that was a little annual that just came up from seed every year is gone now because they love to scratch in the dirt. So they scratch out all of those little sprouts and they just like to pick at any little sprouting plant. So I've a a lot of things are just gone. Um, Borage, calendula, um, all those self sowers have disappeared. But in return, they keep the weeds down and they eat the snails. And we really encourage them to develop a taste for snails. We would go round up little baby snails, which we imagined might taste better to them, and feed them to them. And now they really have a taste for them. So what that means is that these dahlias, like there's a big dinner plate dahlia over there, I had planted those years ago, and they just sort of never came up. Yeah. And I thought, oh, they must have gotten soggy or something must have happened. But it turns out that it's just that the snails were mowing them down. So with no snails, I've got all these new plants I can grow. So I'm still f- figuring it out. Like there's a there's an area over here that's kind of cut down to nothing right now, but they're all perennials that come up and get real tall and beautiful and bloom in season and that the chickens don't bother. Shasta daisies and hardy geraniums and catmint and yarrow, plants like that that the chickens leave alone. That's amazing. Yeah. I heard a la- um, night before last I was talking to a minister, Dan, from the Harvest Christian Centre. Ah. And he said that what he did was he had his vegetable garden in the middle. Mm-hmm. Then right around the edge he had his chicken coop. So he had completely surrounded it. Uh-huh. So like a walkway all uh-huh. the way around. And that meant that no slugs got onto his vegetables. I love and that. I thought that was a really 
good idea. A chicken moat. Yeah. A chi- yes, a chicken moat. I would love to do something like that. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Now, the only thing that I can see missing from this amazing wildlife garden, which I presume is what you call it, <laughs> is water. Well, I'm only a few blocks from the ocean here, and yeah. um, it rains a lot. It rains all winter long, and it's just cold and damp all the time. So I don't long for a pond or any water source. I just feel surrounded by water all the time. Yeah. Uh, we also have a problem with mosquitoes and West Nile virus, very serious. So any water that I had would have to keep moving or otherwise be protected from mosquito eggs. We could not have that. So yeah, I don't have a good, for wildlife, I don't have a good water source, but I got some good ideas. I actually talked to a, a woman here locally who's a frog expert. Right. And she had one great idea, which is to take a half barrel, like these wooden wine barrels cut in half, Fill that with water and hang a wind chime above it so that the tail of the wind chime drags in the water. Just enough to keep the water moving gently so that mosquitoes won't lay eggs, but you still have a little kind of pond-like environment that could be a bird bath or where frogs might move in or something like that. That's a great idea. So we've got a wet winter ahead, but at the end of the wet winter, that's the sort of solution that... I thought would work. And tell me about that certification scheme where you can oh, have yes. your garden certified. Yeah, there's um, there's a program through the National Wildlife Federation to have your backyard certified as a wildlife habitat. So it's a very simple process. You do it online and they look for, first of all, of course, sustainable garden practices, no chemicals, reduce your lawn, that sort of thing. They look for habitat, plants that provide habitat. So even a little thicket, like we've got, we've got berry brambles and they kind of go over into the neighbor's yard and there's more bramble over there. Even, even something as small as that is something of a habitat. Food sources, I have lots of those, lots of plants that produce nectar, pollen for the bees, seeds for the birds, a water source, and um, some shelter. So, for example, one of the things I have is a little bee box for native bumblebees where they can, if they can read the sign on the front and see that that's a bee habitat, <laughs> yeah. hopefully they'll go flying in there and have a habitat for themselves. So mostly it's about getting rid of as much lawn as possible and planting a very diverse landscape that can be a habitat. And I think it's important to remember it doesn't just have to be about birds. Um, Insects, and this is something I think you guys are a lot more aware of in the UK than we are, that almost all birds feed their young insects. And so just having a garden that's full of insects can do a lot of good for the birds. I heard this new word when I was at Benziger Winery, mm. and that was an insectary. Yes. I love that idea. Yes. So anyway, when you've passed this certification, what do you get? Well, they send you a little certificate you can hang on the wall, and you can also buy a metal, a little metal sign that you could put in your yard that says this garden is a certified wildlife habitat. So if the neighbors walk by and they're outraged that you don't have a perfect lawn, and instead you've got, I mean, in my front yard, for instance, I have right now a lot of asters are up and a lot of salvia and perennial grasses, tall ornamental perennial grasses. So you can have a little sign that sort of says, I meant to do this. There's a reason this garden looks like this. I think that would really appeal because lots of times 
people say to me, I'd love to have a wildlife garden, but I don't think the neighbors would mm -hmm. like it. Well, do you know, I heard a very good suggestion from another garden writer. She told me that if you think the neighbors will be upset, she, she had two ideas. One is group plants together and it will just look like a design. So yeah. if you're going to plant uh, ornamental grasses, get five of them and put them in a big clump. Don't just stick one here and stick one there. Yeah. That alone makes it look more like I meant to do this. Put group four or five sedums together in a group. And the other thing she said is put a little hardscape around it. If you have a little brick wall or a little wooden fence or just anything, even a stone planter, then it looks more like I meant to do this. This yeah. is this was a planned thing. This isn't I haven't just stopped mowing my lawn. <laughs> yeah. This is something I actually meant to do. And I thought, well that makes sense because we respond to a little structure. Yeah. So just putting a hard edge somewhere in it. Now I know that we've been selling your book Flower Confidential for some time, but I've been following you and you just seem to go from town to town to town to town signing books and speaking how's that all going it's going well um i think what's happening is that people in the flower industry are really starting to read it you know it came out um at valentine's day which is a great time in terms of getting media coverage and getting on the news because everyone does a story about flowers at valentine's day but the florists were all very busy <laughs> yeah and then they had mother's day to get ready for so it's taken them a while to get around to reading the book so now i'm having floral industry groups call me up and say we don't know what this sustainability thing is about. Come and talk to us about it. In fact, you'll love this. I talked to a florist in Hollywood who knows someone whose entire clientele is celebrity homes. So all he does is he does the flowers for the homes of celebrities in Hollywood. That's his only job. Good Lord. I know. <laughs> And so all of his celebrity clients are starting to say, what are you doing about organics? What are you doing about green? We want our flowers to be green. And he didn't know what that meant. He thought that meant that he would have to stop using cut flowers and switch to potted plants. Really? With no thought to what's been sprayed on the potted plants. You yeah. know, I mean, he just didn't get it. And she had to explain to him, you can get organic flowers. You can get locally grown flowers. You can get flowers that are at least sustainably grown or fair trade. You, there, you've got a lot of options here. And he just had no idea. So people in the flower industry are just now figuring it out and they're trying to decide if it matters to their customers. And this, I think, is the important point. Um, unless we're willing to demand them, maybe even to pay a little more for them, the flower industry is not going to just give this to us out of the goodness of their hearts. You, know? you see, California, it seems to me, has no excuse at all because it seems to me that the season is extraordinarily long. Yes. Maybe not up here so much, but certainly down where I've been below yeah. you know LA mm -hmm. area mm -hmm. and so it's amazing really that particularly in this area that any flowers are being imported at all isn't it it is surprising isn't it well um the California growers and remember California produces 75 percent of the flowers grown in the United States are grown here in California most yeah. of the rest come from Florida tropical flowers come yeah. from Florida and the growers here just have a very hard time competing with Latin American flowers. So if you grow roses, carnations, chrysanthemums, those sort of mass commodity flowers that are easy to grow in Latin America and very easy to ship, very portable, durable flowers, then the California growers can't compete. They say we, have, we pay much higher wages, we have higher workers' compensation costs, insurance costs. Um, environmental regulations so there's no way we can produce a rose for the same amount so they've either gone out of business or they've specialized so they may grow only larkspur or only you know something that they think the latin americans can't do as well yeah but you're right we here could have flowers just about year round 
Lucky you. Yeah, lucky us. <laughs> and yet we still import them. So what are you going to do? I thank you for um, inviting me to stay. I hope it wasn't the Californian invite, which <laughs> I heard about last night. <laughs> Tell our listener about that. <laughs> I, I, read a, I read a book for Americans going over to visit in Holland, and they said, remember that the Dutch people will take everything you say very seriously. So if you issue what they called in this book a California invitation, which means you say, oh, you really must come see us next time you're, you know, you better mean it because they will, in fact, call you up in a year or so and say, well, we're coming. <laughs> but no, I did not issue a California invitation. I think anyone there at Wiggly Wigglers should come and stay with us. And in fact, we'd like to have you all come all at once sometime. So come and have your annual convention here in Eureka, California. We'll that, welcome you. That would be really cool. I've seen some great places in Eureka. And today I'm heading for the Redwoods. And I'm also off to see Patrice Reed, who's another listener in Arcata. Yes. So thank you, Amy, very much indeed. And good luck with your new book. I can't say a thing about it. <laughs> Not a thing. But it's bad. Yes, it's very bad. Okay, so I'm with Patrice. <laughs> so pleased to meet you, Patrice. Yes, lovely to meet you. Um, first of all, tell me, how the heck can you be in the middle of this beautiful forest in Northern California and listening to the Wiggly podcast. How can that be? My husband found it on the internet. <laughs> did he? Yes, he did. And, and do you like it? Oh, I love it. Really? Yes, it's my very favourite one. You. Yeah, I'll give you that fiver after. <laughs> now, Patrice... You said 20 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> now, Patrice is a professional gardener. Yes. And you also have your own... It's an oasis in a wilderness of trees, isn't it? Mm. It's just like a little piece of heaven. There's roses everywhere. There's a veggie patch. I've seen hummingbirds. A hummingbird has just landed on the fence. A little tiny bird, about maybe an inch and a half, with a really pointed beak. What's that pointy beak about? It's for putting his nose into the flowers and then drinking out the nectar. So what does he eat? Can you feed him mealworms? Or No, no, not at all. No, they eat gnats, little gnats and little tiny insects, but mostly nectar. Can you feed them by your house? Yes, you can put a, put a, a little feeder up right next to the window. And what do you put in it? Sugar water. Huh. You put four parts of water and one part sugar. Wow. And you don't put coloring in. You just put... Plain water. Yeah, some people put red in and you don't need that. No. Anyway, and it's absolutely wonderful. I've been in amongst it all and there's a big fence around it. Why is that? Oh, that's to keep the deer out. Okay. And bears and... Bears? <laughs> Raccoons. <laughs> no way. True. Really? Yes, they come after the fruit. Have you met a bear? Yeah. Well, I saw one down the mailbox the other day. No. Yeah, too right. He, really? Yes, he was ready to cross the street. He wasn't coming this way, thank heavens. And what was your reaction? Is it is it like pure fear or is it oh, just no, beauty? No. Or? Oh, no, it's just a bear. Yeah. Yeah, it's just part of what lives here. They what, were here first. What sort of bear would he be? A brown bear. So does that mean he wants to eat Patrice for tea? Not necessarily. He wants to eat Patrice's apples for his tea. Ah. <laughs> now, we've gone out to the most important part of the whole Patrice regime, the engine house. Tell us about this. Uh, this is my, where I do all my composting for the vegetable garden. It's a series of five bins, and I put horse manure and leaves and grass and anything that I can find. Wow. And then I turn it sometimes <laughs> yeah if you can be bothered <laughs> when, I, when I get time <laughs> when I feel like a workout so how yes of course this is Patrice's second tip is garden aerobics <laughs> yes <laughs> so 
So how long does it take you to make this compost? Probably about three or four months. Yeah. It would be six weeks if I turned it once a yeah. week, which I don't yeah. do. It's, um, you just make it like lasagna, you know, a layer of leaves and then water and then horse manure. Do you make any leaf mold on its own? Yes, or? always. Yes, uh, I go mad this time of year and collect leaves. I thought you would. Yes, I would. <laughs> I thought you would. And you also design other people's gardens. Yes. Tell us about the corporate garden, darling. Uh, that's that's quite a nice one. It's about a, a city block long, and we used a lot of rocks to encourage the lizards and the toads to have a habitat for them, and lots of beautiful hedges for birds. We put a blueberry hedge in and a guava hedge in. So not the normal formal corporate garden that I would think of well it's got all the good bits as well yeah yeah and did they ask for that or no they they wanted a a rock garden that had to be no higher than three feet so they could see the tractors from the road yeah yes Uh, but you've incorporated it for wildlife essentially yes Uh, have they noticed Yes, yes, yes. The, the mechanics go out and eat the blueberries. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> they do. And I've just told them about the guavas are ripe now, so they'll probably be out eating those soon for their lunch. <laughs> right, I'm with Margot, who turns out to be a giant in the world of recycling. <laughs> and in fact, she's got the strongest size I've ever known <laughs> on any woman anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Wiggly Podcast. Thank you. (laughs) Now, we are going on an exploration because one of my mysteries during my whole American trip is how come Americans have pickup trucks with nothing in the back? I have no idea. It's the strangest phenomenon I've ever seen. There's so many pickup trucks that are absolutely pristine and why they would ever have them I just don't understand I think it has to do with football programming and all the advertisement in between where if you are a real man you have a pickup Ah. Um, not to mention the fact that if you're a real man you would never have a van um, which oh. would be so nice with your family to put everything in but no you men don't must have, have a van right bag. okay so we're going to look at your pickup and I understand that you've been following the Ricardo school of motoring <laughs> <laughs> I love the podcast where in the parking lot Ricardo's rig apparently got hit but no one would ever know the fact that it had been touched in any manner because it was already in such a sad shape of disarray that um that it wouldn't be able to be noticed now the back of my pickup it's quite tidy has has become warbly oh yes concrete that i've um, hauled in it the other thing about the, my pickup is the back of it is pulling away from the front of it. Oh. You can see daylight. You can see ah. the road down between the There back is a little of bit bed. of separation there. There okay. is. There is. And I'm going to look in the front to see if it's a tidy. Oh, uh, it had um, earlier in the year, because it leaks, it had some grass growing on the side, ah, the passenger yes. side. I'm getting my husband's chainsaw chains um so there's chainsaw there's a, oh, oh there's yes, some handy some hand cream. a Burt's Bees cream yes there's uh, a gardening knife uh, oh um, gosh a deadly weapon clippers uh. <laughs> gloves there's all sorts of things back here I don't think Ricardo will have got over yet you referring to his car as a rig <laughs> Well, having not seen his car, I have no idea what it is. You can see that I have no um, 
no form of entertainment in here. There's no radio or anything. There's just a lot of wires hanging down. My son gave me this pickup when he got tired of it, and he stripped it of all the That's speakers. That's so that and you can the... listen to the Wiggly podcast. Yes, yes. <laughs> I am an avid, avid listener. There have been many times when I have done some very tedious work that I've made it through those chores by listening to Wiggly wiggly podcasts. I shall think of you and Patrice when we're recording the next show. Shall we go in and have a cup of tea and you can tell me all about your wall? Yes, especially since it's raining right now. Thanks, guys. AD is dropped in. He's landed from space. Hello, everyone. I'm going to say hello, listeners, but, you know, there's only one. There's only one. Hello, listener. We'll be fine. And, uh, A.D., you've come with a joke. I've come with a joke, a wiggly wiggler joke. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, as Richard's sat opposite me. Uh, There we go. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't involve you, actually. Stop waiting. Go on. (laughs) Get over with and then leave. There was a little... You liked it. There was a little girl pond-dipping with you the other day. Remember? The other day? And she caught, caught a newt. Okay. And put it in a jam jar. Okay. And she came running up here to her mum where I was stood. And she said, Mummy, 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 look what I've caught. Mummy said, Oh, that's lovely. Are you going to give it a name? So the little girl thought and said, Yes, Mummy, I'm going to call it Tiny. So her mum said, That's a very, very, very funny name. Where'd you get that from? So the little girl stopped and said, Well, it is minute. Oh, oh very good. Spot very on. Good. That was great. That was really clever, actually. Yeah. Okay. And uh, AD, just for a bit of background, dear listener, is not only a wood flooring uh, genius. One of those. He's a professional broadcaster. I am indeed. Tell us about your gigs, old boy. Well, I work in an awful lot of nightclubs at the moment, and we've got a famous one in Hereford, haven't we? That's very hard to get into. Mm. Playing nightclub in Hereford. Is that Love Joys? It's part of the same group, so I work there every Fridays. You've got a night there, have you? I've got a Friday. Oh, every yeah, Friday night. Yes. And how is your PC computer? That's We're not, not an talking apple. about computers at the moment. No, what happened? Can you make sure that there's no coffee, tea, <laughs> anywhere near a keyboard at the moment? Because last Friday, a young man tipped half a pint of lager over my laptop. So that was the end of the night, I'm afraid. And oh, how yeah. is your PC? I've computer? got a new one. Yes, it's not an apple, though. So mine should be all right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, AD. I'm going now. Good Thank night. you. Bye, listener. Bye. Now, Rich, I gather you, you're going to build a propagator. Is this going to take <laughs> you a long time, or is the idea so. to propagate something no. while it's cold? I'll tell you what it is, because, you know, we've been going through this whole new catalogue thing, you know, drawing this new catalogue together, major amount of work involved. For One Michael. thing that inspired me <laughs> was uh, something I've been thinking about for ages, is building a cold frame, you know, a large propagator, really, at home, because, you know, you know, a while ago I mentioned I got rid of the greenhouse, because it was in the wrong place anyway, and I thought, well, it's going to be years before I can use it so I'm going to build a propagator but I've got loads of old double glazed panels that I've been kicking around for ages so I'm going to use those I'm going to make make my propagator also out of offcuts from uh, Wiggly Wiggler's beehive composters so so the whole thing is going to cost me absolutely nothing so it'll be interesting to see but of course when you look at Victorian kitchen gardens their propagators look their frames look just like that so they were windows on a little low wall and the whole principle of it was just that, wasn't it? So yeah. Propagators are a total mystery to me because, you know, my mum used to have a plastic thing okay. and on the top it had a dial. And so she would spend her time... In the morning, she would go into the conservatory and do something. Right. I don't know what it was. 
Oh. And she would grow these seedlings. It all seems so technical. But that yeah. had a heater. Whereas in you're going to yeah, do. That would have been a heater. I mean, what, what, good cold frames, or rather, not good cold, but certain cold frames, propagators, have a heating element underneath. So you have a nice warm soil. So warm roots and cold heads. Some plants quite like that. But it's a good way of starting off things like tomatoes and onions and whatnot early on in the year, you know, sort of January time or something like that, you can do it. I'll tell you what I was looking for, and actually this will be a great opportunity for some feedback from the listener. If anybody has heard of a solar-powered heater for a propagator or a coal frame, let me know. I really appreciate that. Farmer Phil, what about in the farm? How do you manage to get seeds to propagate? It's, it's a really interesting subject because on our farm, as we've said in the past, we've got soil types that vary from very silty, almost clay loams, right through to gravel with a lot of stone in it. Now, in the spring, the soils that warm up quickest are the ones with the stones in. And the reason that I think that is the case is because the stones trap the heat from the sun better than just soil does, so that yeah. the clay soils are slower. Right. And you'll find that our gravelly soils are where the crops start to grow weeks before the clay soils. But it gives me an idea that in the cold frame situation, you've got your double glazing unit or whatever to allow the warmth of the sun in, which is the principle of it. A few well-placed stones or some gravel within there will store the energy to some extent better than the soil will. Well, yeah. Rich. Good idea. That was a cracking idea. In the meantime, I have a little tip from Karen about cats. To keep cats off your flower beds, place tea bags sprayed with a muscle deep heat solution. Cats don't like the smell and they'll no longer choose your flower bed as a toilet area. So that's sorted that issue. We're having Alison in in a moment, but just before then, we're launching our t-shirt competition. I can't go into detail because uh, Michael says that we've got about 50 million hours of podcast. So please go to www.heathergorange.com with how to win sacks of money if you can give us a t-shirt slogan very or an idea. Hmm? You were very animated then, weren't you? I was. Yeah. <laughs> Lots if of the, money. The well, it's quite obvious that. the t-shirt design should be a picture of me on the front and a picture of Rich on the back. They are sorted. That sounds perfectly reasonable, apart from that it should be the other way around. I think perhaps the best thing to do would be have a trouser bottom competition where you can both go on each cheek. So now we've been joined by Al. When Al came and had a word with me the other day and said, when are you going to do something about your pigs? And I said, that's a very good question. I'm going to have to do something about my pigs very soon. What do you know about avatars and so on? Because we've got one or two ideas. And to cut a long story short, Al said she'd got three lambs that were due to go to the avatar and we got two pigs, and would we like to swap some lamb for some pork or bacon or whatever? And I said, yes, please, because I like lamb, and mm. you don't get much from pigs. And so <laughs> Al has researched the avatar situation, and we think we found the perfect solution. Mr Griffiths at Lentmadine, assuming yeah. he's willing, yeah, will slot us in, and we will go for January. Well, um, I was searching for smaller avatars, really, because they're more friendly, and they can cuts your meat up to whatever you want really the friendly guests yes yeah bless them so i rang them up and um, they do take small orders like two or three how much is it to kill a pig and a lamb well the lambs are 22 pounds a head and that includes all the cutting up and everything so so you get it back in bits you get it back in nice presentation box all labeled up with all the joints on it'll be yes and the um, pigs range from 44 pounds upwards but they go on weight for the pigs 
so I'm not sure about the pigs here. And on top of that, you get charged extra for if you want sausages, which we would be like quite good. So. Yes, it's actually 70 pence a pound for sausages. Uh, so they're very keen, but you have there's fully booked until January now. So you just have to ring them up and book them in. And it was the difference between a porker or a baconer. Um, but they a did smaller say, animal, is it, the porker? A porker is a younger pig producing the tenderest meat. Right. And a baconer yeah. is an older pig with bigger back legs producing good-sized hams. Okay. So what a Any so comments at this point, Rich, may be dangerous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so ours would be porkers. Porkers, I would yeah. say so, yes. Because ours must be, what, six or seven months old? Older, yeah. But they're not a year old, are they? No. no that's right. So porkers. Yeah, porkers. We found it a place. they're eating chopped apricots at the moment. Chopped apricots. They had prunes last week, and I think they might even have mixed fruit medley for next week. Wow. <laughs> they, they love leeks, but the favourite thing that they've loved so far has been the leftovers from bonfire night, which was mulled wine <laughs> with oh. oranges, lemons, apples in the wine. Cloves. and Cloves. Yeah. Wow. Loads of cloves and cinnamon. And I put it out there, and they just loved it. Chomped them away. Alison, you've brought some sheep's wool with you, which we're not going to ask about. So thank you. Uh, onward and upward. <laughs> There's no time for sheep wool. We'll hear about that at a later date. Okay, uh, next time. So just before we finish, was there something you wanted to say about propagation again, Well, Richard? just in that little interim period when we were waiting for Alison to come across and join us and bring a sheep's wool that we're not talking about, we, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Phil and I were talking, you know, and there are, there are lots of little really neat, simple schemes of warming your propagator, one of which, of course, would be to rest your compost heap against the back of it. Could you put your propagator on top of your compost heap? Um, no. Thank you. Well... There's absolutely no time left, so we're not going to hear about peanuts. This is a mammoth episode, which is now drawing to a close. So thank you for listening. Goodbye. Bye. And bye for me. This show, we're full, we've got so much stuff to, to push into this show. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Uh, I've got no. a running order for this. No, no, no. Yeah. It's, it's, it's no. good. I haven't detected any filling at all. No. OK. <laughs> right. Call me Polly, she says. Mrs. Patrice Reed, what did you just say to me? <laughs> this shocked me to the core. I said, listening to the Wiggly Wigglers podcast is better than chocolate. Outrageous. <laughs> Absolutely outrageous.